Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, March 4th, 2021. I am John Bodhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Um, so, uh, you know, the big the big political news, aside from uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo... Um, uh, being very be, being contrite, so he's he's contrite now. Uh, uh, he's not really contrite, actually. But okay, he 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 pretended to be contrite, uh, and of course uh, also says that he you know he this is the way he greets people is to you know is to put the, put his hands on their face and kiss them. Um. Well, that was the way that uh, Michael Corleone greeted Fredo. So, you know, I'm not sure that that's the the best. Uh, I mean, the picture is the picture of him uh, with uh, with Ms. Rath uh, at the wedding in 2019 is eerily similar to the shot of Al Pacino with his hands on John Cazale's face in The Godfather Part Two. Anyway, so we'll we'll put that to one side as that as the story continues to percolate. Uh, Texas, you know, lifted its mask mandate and, uh, the president yesterday called this Neanderthal thinking, we can't let our guard down, uh, and, and, and all of that. Um, and so I think you have competing, uh, political realities here, which is that uh, I think Greg Abbott really wanted to change the story in Texas from his handling of the cold snap. Uh, and uh, and so his his constituents and his base have a very specific set of ideas about how this has gone too far and mandates are bad anyway and all of that. And of course, Biden is speaking to an entirely different population. I mean, he is the president, so he should be speaking to everybody. But uh, you know where where he where his where his people are is if you don't have a mask mandate, you're evil and you're trying to kill me and you're trying to kill everybody. And so uh, how, how dare you? And you're going to cause variants and all of that. And so I, you have this, you know, this weird, the political crack up in the United States is revealed in this way, which is that one ordinarily, you know, the public would kind of be of one mind about this sort of thing. Like in general, is it good to have a mask or not have a mask and not? And we have not only the Texas example, but, the example of uh, a per, uh, Secretary of State of Ohio, I believe, Josh Mandel, uh, who has is uh, running for Senate for the retiring Rob Portman seat next year, and declared not only that you know he's sick of uh, of Trump not winning any election he claims to have won, uh, but that uh, masks are, he is not going to, not only does he, is he against mask mandates, but he is not going to wear a mask anymore. Uh, so we're, we're, you know, we're two nations. We're one, one, two nations, one masked, one, one not. Not really. This is why everybody's really annoying. Um, first of all, Josh Mandel has, appears to have gone to, well, your present company excluded. You two okay. listeners. Um, he seems to have gone to the Ted Cruz school of political sincerity he tells whatever he thinks the most obnoxious wing of the party wants to hear, he's willing to say it and has recently assumed a, a Southern accent that is um, not native to where he grew up. So he's a, uh, he's a, a false figure. Um, but you got to be a little bit careful because that does indicate there are some people who are willing to be jerks about this thing. Masking is a self-reinforcing social norm at this point. We know it from the polling where more people are saying they wear masks than actually do wear masks. We know it from anecdotal evidence in the streets. There's always anecdotal videos of people who are jerks in stores. And that's what everybody is afraid of because everybody lives this online existence now. But those are individual episodes that are few and far between. Texas has become the 15th state without a mask mandate. You don't really hear about hordes of mass unmasked people in major metropolitan areas in places like Arizona and Florida, and Georgia, where there is no statewide mask mandate. Texas has increased the capacity at which businesses can fill, you know, can fill themselves to 100%, which sounds terrifying, unless you remember that it's an increase of 25% from the 75% cap, none of which are policed. All of this stuff is guidance, which there's no, there's no, uh, you know, vice squad out there shutting down restaurants. 
that don't have that aren't abiding by these guidelines. What he did do is say there's no judicial, there can't be any judicial penalty for somebody who doesn't wear a mask, but you can kick him out of your store if you want. So he's not abrogating businesses. And finally, if you hit a 15% threshold in your county of infections, then mitigation efforts are allowed to be kicked in at a, at a county level. Now, some people think that that's terrifying. 15%, that's too much infections. But what should the rate be? 7%, 8%, 10%? There will be a rate. And everybody needs to accept the fact that zero is not real. It's not a real mandate. So the, the, the President Biden's decision to call this Neanderthal behavior is going to hurt him for a very long time. It's going to haunt him because is he's it? describing a whole lot of political, a, a very substantial political consensus that but he's attacking as just being uh, troglodytic. Okay, but I and, I and it's this is an important point because I think the other thing that I think is appropriate to be harsh on the Biden administration for doing is that part of the reason why these, you know, this is becoming a, a cultural issue and a politicized issue and has been for some time is that we do actually don't have good guidance now that vaccination is happening and, and increasing every week about how long you do need to wear masks. So what I would have liked to have seen from some of these, certainly from some of these governors is, is it saying we're 100% open, we're looking at the you know, decline in deaths and decline decline in hospitalizations, the increase in vaccinations. Here are a few steps that will keep us safe while we're going through this transition period, you know, wear masks indoors, et cetera, et cetera, and, and combine it with the vaccine push. Biden's doing the same kind of bad messaging on the other side and, and basically saying we have to stay on, you know, we have to stay totally masked up. There's no room here for optimism. And today, uh, you know, Scott Gottlieb, who we have at times been critical of, had really good public health messaging. He was like, look, we need to talk about what it's going to look like and all the positive stuff and the mitigation efforts that have to still continue in smaller amounts along the way. That's the message the Biden administration should be doing. Instead, it's withholding CDC recommendations for fear that it won't get its trillion dollar package passed. Right. I mean, that's a yeah specific thing that happened. There's a story in the New York Times, is it the New York? No, Politico, about how the CDC's uh, guidance for what to do after you're vaccinated is being held up pretty much by the Biden White House. And as Noah said, Don't say uh, that. the story, <laughs> no, what? You can't say that. They're ter- the story is terrified of its own conclusions. Right. No, but no, but I mean, it's kind of that. That's the implicit uh, story. And then, and then, as 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 Noah said, the reason that they're that the people at the CDC are like shaken by what's going on in the Biden White House is because of what went on in the Trump White House. I can't tell you how annoyed I am at this story. It, it reports five paragraphs about how the Biden White House intervened in the CDC's process. It was supposed to release these guidelines, I think, tomorrow. And then it just decided, no, it's going to pull back out of nowhere. And the reporting is that the Biden White House essentially intervened in this process. And then it says there's no evidence to suggest that the Biden White House is trying to suppress CDC guidelines or override the judgment of CDC guidance, except for the four preceding paragraphs. And then it goes on a paragraph later to say, and also remember, Donald Trump was president once being like, well, Donald Trump president kind of intervened in this process, too. And wasn't that weird? That was kind of annoying, right? Right. Remember. Oh, no, and the implication is like the it, it let, Trump somehow left the CDC like um, too shocked and disoriented to function properly right. under Biden. Any sentient reader of this story will come away with the conclusion that Joe Biden intervened in this process, or the White House intervened in this process for political purposes, and then does everything within its within its power to say that we're not really. And seeing- he's done it before. He did it with regard to school recommendations and his own CDC director. This is now a pattern and practice of the Biden administration. It should be pointed right. out. Well, you know, can I yeah, go ahead? I, sorry, I, I'm sorry. I just want to jump back to the mask thing for a second because I just had something to add to that. I, I I think the I think it's a bigger problem than Noah than you suggest because I think what happened is the 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 anti lockdown folks over time kind of became the mirror image of the mask scolds. You know the 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 people who like would you know yell at you on the street or wherever and tell you to mask up, um, but I think it may not be so bad in that. I wonder if the I'm never going to wear a mask position is identical to what Republicans told pollsters, right? Is it is it more a a public posture? Is it more a don't 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 ask me what I'm going to do about my own health? It's none of your business. I know you want to you want to portray me as however you want to portray me. No, I'm never going to wear a mask again. I don't believe in you people. I don't care. And that and that may not necessarily track with how they then go and behave. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I, I think that that's why I, I just, I don't know who gets blamed for what, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like he said Neanderthal and that's, you know, the president shouldn't be calling people in America Neanderthals, I guess. And he didn't say they were ne- He said Neanderthal thinking, and I guess he's allowed to attack, you know, other politicians like, like Greg Abbott. Um, but I do think that there is way more, uh, uh, confusion uh, and um, uh, disorganization of a certain type going on in the in the in the new administration than than people are willing to connect the dots to show. Just yesterday, they announced uh, school. You know, the uh, Dr. Jill Biden and uh, and uh, the uh, I guess uh, who is the HHS secretary. Um, uh, or, uh, no, the uh, education secretary Cardona uh, go around saying that uh, they're making a major push to br- make the schools reopen. By the way, you know schools reopening—that's really great. If they reopen in six weeks, they'll be open for you know six weeks until until the summer. So um, you know, in some sense, th- this is a kabuki play altogether by now because uh, we're in March. Uh, but the other is that so they ana- so they w- go in this uh, push and, and in an effort to I guess sweeten the pot. Biden directs America, I don't quite know how he does this or how it works, but he sort of directed the vaccine uh, rollout to prioritize uh, teachers and education workers. Now, first of all, where a lot of people live, they're already prioritized, and they are apparently getting uh, vaccinated in lower numbers than other people are. Um, But... uh, uh, the governors were apparently shocked because at the same time they were informed that there will be no extra vaccines sent to their states until April uh, because apparently it's all committed until Johnson & Johnson comes rolling off the line and Pfizer and uh, Moderna can sort of re- re-up with their you know complicated nanotechnology stuff. Uh, so they're being directed to prioritize a certain population without an increase in vaccine supply, which of course now creates a new system where it's like, okay, so now teachers get it first, uh, other people, and they it's, it's not clear how many of them want it, and then other people can't get it because it has to be reserved for them. Uh, that's very confusing, and then I'm going to make one more point and everybody else can uh, go free for all. When you say teachers need to prior- be prioritized to get, vaccinate- to get vaccinated so then schools can open, uh, you are giving them a, uh, an almost uh, a complete uh, stay-out-of-work-free card because if they don't get vaccinated in large numbers, then they're not getting vaccinated and their fellow teachers aren't getting vaccinated, so how can they all go back to work? And secondly, you are implicitly saying that the current situation in which it would be fine for them to go back to work with vaccinated or not vaccinated, given these ratings or, you know, fine with appropriate precautions is insufficient. And so if that's insufficient and they need to be vaccinated before they go to work, we're not getting back to school until September. So uh, they don't know what they're saying or they are being totally disingenuous in creating the impression that they want schools to reopen. It's the second thing. That's what it is, because it's all carrot dangling and no stick. And at this point, the American people want someone to pick up a stick and start waving it at the teachers union. So what they're doing is trying to, they're they're splitting the baby. I'm sorry, I'm like going wild with the metaphors today, but it's, it's absolutely a cynical political ploy because he cannot deal with the teachers unions and Randy Weingarten, who's out there all the time, you know, yammering on about safety, doesn't want to do the one thing Thing that I think would actually assuage both the administration's concerns and parents' concerns, which is to say, we're going to prioritize you and you're going to put in writing with your union agreement that that means you will return to the classroom by a certain date. And there is absolutely medical proof of after a certain date, once you're vaccinated, you can return to these activities. We will hold you to that. And if you do not show up, you will lose your job. That's all they need to do. They will not do that. Well, it must be said, though, that it is not the case that the general public is clamoring for teachers to return to the classroom. Precisely the opposite. The general public is on board with the notion that schools should be closed in the absence of a vaccine regime that that has achieved 100% saturation. 
the parents of teach of, of students are a little bit different. It's closer to a 50, 50, maybe in 55, 45 issue. Um, but it's not an overwhelming consensus. And uh, we, you know, we're, we're the sort of the leading edge of the vanguard here defining, you know, what should be the terms of re- returning to classroom, but the general public is not on board with that. But that's the Just triumph. The cover that, that that, yeah. But that's a triumph of the narrative, the unscientific narrative that's been, uh, you know, absolutely and enthusiastically uh, promoted by the teachers unions and, in fact, by the Biden administration uh, for many, many months, which is to say, you know, it's not safe, it's not safe, it's not safe. And he's played into that. And now I think John's right. Suddenly to, to sort of turn on a dime and say, oh, now it's a priority to get you back in the classroom. Who's buying that? It's just cyn- it's too cynical to believe. Well, I, apparently people are buying it or they don't care or they live in states where their kids are in school full time. I mean, that's the interesting aspect of this, which is this is an issue that is that is affecting people who are living directly under the regime that has them closed. And that's, I don't know, it's a little less than half the country or something like that. So so you're, if your ox is not being gored particularly, then you're not going to... Not to add to the metaphor, the client. But here's why those. But here's why. But here's why even those people should be concerned, and it's for this. What they're calling open in some places right now is one day a week, or maybe two days a week, um, or you know maybe we don't go to school on Wednesday as they have it here in D.C., or you get dismissed at one o'clock like Noah's kids have to go through, and they call that back to school in person next year. When you're, when all of these people assume that five days a week from nine to three is going to be the schedule, they're in for a rude awakening if there's not some effort now to insist that that be what is the, the baseline with the option, if we still have a lot of outbreaks and concerns to have a separate, dedicated, small, you know, online version of school. But right now the hybrid stuff is not working. I, this is where I really feel for teachers. The teachers who are trying to teach to computer and teach to kids in the classroom, that doesn't work. That's impossible. Um, so I think that that's why PE. Even people whose kids are back to school in some form should still be watching this closely. Um, what is what, when we look at this and everything I've said about what happened yesterday, sort of in Biden land, right? Uh, schools, guidances, uh, uh, Neanderthal, um, and then of course this moment where Biden had this kind of virtual event and then said, "I'll take questions," and then the feed was cut off. The feed was cut off, so he wanted to take questions, and apparently the president said he couldn't take questions. What we don't know is who the president is, who made that decision. Well, this cut, is why this is why everyone's reading the Ron president Klain. of the United yeah. States off. Yeah. Ron Klain's Twitter feed has become the new tea leaf reading in a in a weird way, kind of how Donald Trump's Twitter feed was, you know, for four years. It's, it's the chief of right. staff everyone's looking towards. Right. So I. Um, so this is confusing. There's confusing things going on. Uh, and um, I don't really think that this makes one feel as though one knows that the president's hand is the hand on the tiller. And that there may not be a hand on the, uh, the tiller. I, I, Abe, you were sort of thinking about this? No, I mean, this... this expands on the we, the point we touched upon yesterday which was i think you know based on john your uh your saying that the, at times this seems like a presidency by committee um or um like a modern day biden is like a modern day monarch of some sort um uh, and yes we have more evidence of this he's 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 there he's the face um along with kamala harris's face um, but yes, no, we have we have this nothing in this about this administration speaks with one voice, uh, not in the CDC decisions, uh, not on um, really any everything is sort of up in the air until it's passed. And then it's and then you kind of know which way it, it things went fell down. Things came I mean, down. it's interesting because, of course, it's so radically we, we, this is this is the radical shift from from the four years of, uh, of Trump, right. Which is that uh, all this stuff would happen. Uh, and you hear about it cause everybody was leaking furiously. And then the whole point was it didn't matter what they were saying because Trump would come in with a tweet and destroy three months worth of negotiations or, you know, <laughs> or, you know, or, or, a, or a gigantic and, uh, you know, very cleverly conceived plan to have the border wall paid for with a, 
with an in, with a with some kind of a tariff, and you know, and then he's like, nah, and that's the end of that, or you know, or we need to repeal and replace Obamacare at the same time, nah, and that's the end of that, and we, it almost feels like exactly the opposite. Like, well, but uh, I, I mean, but yeah. okay, so but if if Trump was kind of the angry uh, toddler whose behavior you could not predict and who would have a meltdown, I'm not sure that like I don't know what's what's really it's the metaphor hour. I'm so sorry, but like uh, Biden's kind of like a pinata, and everyone's whacking at him, he's swinging around, and like, but you're still like, is there anything in there? When's the candy going to come out that we can see? I mean, it's it's just as confusing and in, in a different way. Um, I'm not saying it's better or worse. The value judgment is we should withhold because he hasn't been in office that long, but it's not it does suggest that they are not as disciplined and back to normal as they as the campaign they ran successfully to get there but i almost i get the sense that there's a fear to wade into these you know like the 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 polarized state of things and actually declare themselves one way or the other you know i think that is like that's the last thing that that biden wants to have to do um right well and this is on on, every, on issue well, see, after issue. You could, you could make a case that that's smart politics in the sense, which is that if he wants the uh, departments, the cabinet departments, to be the wagers of the culture war, you know, to have Doctor Levine, you know, um, uh, you know, d- d- handing out puberty blockers uh, to to girls and 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 advocating for uh, a surgical uh, for the for the surgical, uh, what would you call it, um, dismemberment of 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 of, of children uh, based on a uh, you know uh, based on a deep distress and all of that, uh, that's fine. If he doesn't have to, ex- I mean, look at it this way: they don't have to express an opinion about it. But this is something that is believed by a lot of the you know by the sort of the vanguard of the Democratic base. Then it goes on in the cabinet departments, and it doesn't touch. The White House, you know, it's like my left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing. If if you want, you know, certain types of really aggressive anti, uh, you know, conventional energy policies coming out of the Energy Department and the Commerce Department and all of that, he can just can keep saying, "Look, I didn't ever said I, I I'm not I don't want to ban fracking, but we'll ban fracking on federal land. We'll 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 create new." But his line is this: that's. I mean that's not dumb politics. That's smart politics. You you remain as uncontroversial as possible and let your underlings take the heat. That would be my now that assumes a kind of conscious choice here, which I just don't know we can assume they're making. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean traditionally that's the VP's role to be the attack dog, right? But well, in 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 in. Uh, Historically, during campaigns, but not 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 during presidencies. Uh, I, I don't know. Dick Cheney would would burst through the wall and argue with your uh, contention there. Dick but, Cheney did not make public statements. Dick Cheney was a very as a as vice president. Dick Cheney was very invisible, except inside. Anyway, I'm sorry. Bottom line is that she can't because she's preserved in glass to be the uh, successor. Well, she could. Uh, she's not very good at it, right? I mean, look, look, look at the trouble. She, you know, the, the her her ad lib on how she wouldn't take the, you know, wouldn't take the vaccine if it was provided by Trump was a colossal unforced error. Like she didn't have to say it. It was a dumb thing to say, and they're they have to deal. They're dealing with the fallout from it now. They obviously want everybody to get vaccinated, and you have you know important people in America saying that they didn't trust the vaccine because Trump because it was being developed under the Trump administration. Um, so I don't know. Uh, well, I also want, but I do want to step back for a second and talk to you about the dissident the documentary that everybody is talking about on October 2nd, 2018, respected Washington Post journalist Jamal Chashoggi entered the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, and was never seen alive again. At a time when America is focused on its own domestic problems, there's one documentary that reminds us that there are unbelievable and shocking events unfolding around the globe. The new documentary, The Dissident, boldly looks into the events and intrigue surrounding the murder that shocked the world. Senator Lindsey Graham says there's not a smoking gun, there's a smoking saw. 
The movie not only unearths new proof, it ultimately exposes his killer. Senator Rand Paul states the evidence is overwhelming that the crown prince was involved, playing out at the highest levels of power and wealth. The Associated Press calls the dissident a real-life thriller. Are you ready for the truth? From the Academy Award-winning director of Icarus, it's The Dissident. Rated PG-13, now available at home on demand. Please visit thedissident.com for more information. Um, Now, speaking of the Middle East, there is a major story that hasn't quite broken through internationally, um, but a major story in Israel that has enormous geopolitical implications uh, and is a very surprising one. Uh, About six weeks ago, there was a massive oil spill uh, in, in the... Or oil began washing up on the shores of the Mediterranean in Israel. Colossal amounts indicating a massive oil spill. Um, and no one really knew where it was coming from. And there were conspiracy theories that uh, the exploration of, a, of an oil field uh, in the Mediterranean called Leviathan, uh, that something might have happened there like Deepwater Horizon, that they were doing something and oil spilled out and all of that, and that therefore... Uh, Israel was at fault. Um, and then yesterday, uh, Gila Gamliel, who is uh, Israel's minister of energy, came out and said that this was a terror, an eco-terrorist attack by Iran, that, uh, that there had been a deliberate leak from an oil tanker and that uh, this, it's not clear how much, maybe half a million barrels were deliberately released to uh, interfere with uh, maritime life in and maritime a- activities uh, in and around Israel. Um, and she may have jumped the gun a little bit on on this because what 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 the Israeli press has has unearthed um, is uh, a a pattern, that a ship uh, leaves Iran with oil, uh, travels, and at various points turns off its transponders, particularly when it comes into proximity with another ship uh, that it presumably then unloaded a whole bunch of oil on, and that ship moves on and meets another ship, and they both turn off their transponders, and then they keep going, and then there is this massive oil spill, and then the originating ship goes back to Iran. Um, So... The 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 idea the question of whether or not the spill was deliberate or accidental uh, they they may be jumping the gun a little bit on that but uh, but it's this is very important because it then goes to the fact that Iran is doing whatever it can at the very least to evade the sanctions regime and to use what are called deceptive shipping practices to get its oil out and about. Uh, particularly to Syria, where, of course, Syria is also under a certain amount of um, international sanction. Uh, One of the reasons this is interesting uh, is that just yesterday, as these announcements were being made, Lebanon, the Lebanese parliament, announced that it was going to uh, complain to the UN about Israel's oil spill, you know, depraving its shores. <clears throat> and it's not <clears throat> Israel's oil spill. That's, I think, the, you know, the central fact of it is that however it happened, it wasn't Israel that spilled the oil. Uh, and and it, was, it was a ship either deliberately or by accident. And I don't really think that they would have where this uh, that um, that Gila uh, Gamliel would have come out and said that it was Iran uh, without you know knowing that it was Iran, but the Mossad and the and the Israel Defense Forces are apparently angry at her for having said this. Whether that means they're angry because they're worried she's going to reveal sources and methods and get people uh, who who helped reveal the information killed. Or whether they're mad because she because she is making an association they were not ready to make, we don't really know. So that this is a big story because if it's real, if it's right, if Iran did it deliberately, uh, we're moving into a new realm of terrorism. I mean, this is some some uh, 
sort of like a version of the thing that everybody feared after 9-11, which was the suitcase nuclear bomb, right? That there would be some, uh, the suitcase bomb or the dirty bomb, right? Which uh, doesn't necessarily kill, but sickens and is essentially an act of of eco-terrorism. And then this literally be an act of eco-terrorism using oil as a, as an, as a, as an ecological weapon. So that's the end of my monologue. And it's also, I mean, it's also interesting because it's low tech, um, uh, which is always fascinating because where we tend to look uh, for the threats that are going to come from out of, you know, technology and when's the, the next sort of um, cyber breach coming from and things like that. And then much like 9-11, which was, you know, done with uh, box cutters, and uh and and whatever you know this is this is low tech this is in some sense it's the equivalent of like you know throwing your garbage in your neighbor's yard or something <laughs> yeah. you know but on a well on the, a, and the combination of those gorgeous, two yeah. terroristic impulses shows an unfortunate i mean look ter- terrorism is a, is an evolutionarily creative enterprise when people do it you know when people are committed to performing it and we've seen the attempts to infiltrate the the infrastructure of water management at the local level, right? There was this this breach in, in Florida. There was another one, I think, in the UK. Efforts by uh, either state actors or terrorists trying to infiltrate uh, water filtration and water purity systems, which would effectively poison the well. It's literally poisoning people's water supply before they can uh, see that. So you see, which is, again, it's another sort of not eco-terrorism, but a way of like taking a, 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 an important critical resource and poisoning it and poisoning the population as, as a terrorist act. Right. Well, okay. So in, in the world of, of uh, politically incorrect crimes, it strikes me that an environmental crime, uh, the act of, uh, the act of uh, poisoning uh, uh, the Mediterranean uh, with, uh, with an oil spill um, uh, has to rank up there. And so uh, this, but the narrative of what happened here, which is Iran did it to punish Israel um, the same people, many of the same people who, uh, you know, uh, would, uh, I mean, imagine if it were the other way around, imagine if Israel spilled oil so that it would poison, you know, a, a, an Iranian port or something like that. I mean, just, just think about it that way. Um, but you know, it, it, I'm sorry, it occurs to me it's not entirely unprecedented. Uh, Saddam Hussein dumped oil into the Persian Gulf, uh, to, to try to keep any intervening forces out. Uh, during the, the the first war, the first Iraq okay, war, but that was some kind of weird. If you think about it, that's like a defensive maneuver. That's like setting your uh, that's like setting your forest on fire in order to prevent you know in order to prevent people from from horses from from coming through or something like that. Right? It was a use a use of something right. to create a defensive blockade uh, in some fashion. Right. And uh, and partly, as I recall, setting the wells on fire was twofold: one to obscure. Uh, aerial observation and two to create an environmental disaster that was deliberate right right but but that was but that wasn't against a country that wasn't like a form of country to country warfare right i mean so i'm just saying i'm now interested because uh you know an environmental crime is like worse than other crimes in the minds of environmental people for whom the environment is second to none how are they going to react you know how they're going to react? Hippo- hypocritically. That's how they're going to react. They're not going to react. I mean, again, if Israel deliberately spilled oil, uh, you know, in the, you know, in the Strait of Hormuz or something like that, uh, this would be the biggest story in the world for a month. And, you know, there would be condemnations and the UN would go into emergency session and there would be this and that and the other thing. And we'll see what happens now, because, of course, this is happening at the worst possible time if it's happened. Uh, precisely because the Biden administration is looking, however it can, to restart talks with with Iran. Um, so I, I just think we're it's it, it's 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 in that sense it's unprecedented, right? And it's frightening because unlike you know sending nanoparticles over to you know destroy our crops or something like that, which is all sort of like the kind of stuff that you see in, uh, you know, near, near range science fiction or something like that. This just happened. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's it's not going to be electromagnetic pulse. That's too complicated to, to, to maybe to pull off. Um, 
but you know, yeah, it's like in the end, if you can't do anything, you you use a bomb, right? Which is how the Tsar Alexander the Second was killed in 1881 <clears throat> was with a bomb, you know. So if you set off the marathon, the, Mar- the Boston Marathon bomber sets off a bomb. That's the same te- terrorist technology that was used 130 years earlier in St. Petersburg. And I, one other point in terms of Middle East politics right now, and particularly for Israel, you know, with the the other story that's been in the news this week is that the International Criminal Court has announced this, you know, big investigation into human rights violations by Israel at a time when, of course, it has no interest in looking into the, such violations on the part of Syria or Iran or, or other uh, states. China? So, China. Yes. Let's not even talk about uh, our our competitor, quote unquote, China. So that's, you know, there is a real, uh, no wonder Israel at this moment is feeling, it always, I think, has justification for feeling embattled. But the international opinion that that clearly the Biden administration on Iran is trying to once again, you know, court is decidedly on one side of the equation here when it comes to violations against Israeli sovereignty. But not when it comes to this International Criminal Court complaint. The Biden administration has been pretty good on that, and they deserve totally. credit for it. Yes, this was very yeah, forcefully exactly right. this investigation at every level of this administration. They deserve credit for it. Yeah, they they really do. And and by the way, uh, uh, not out of the not out of the goodness of our hearts toward Israel. This is a dagger aimed at the the profession of diplomacy uh, in the world. This is arresting people when they step on foreign soil uh, for things that they might have done as public officials in different venues. That means American diplomats. There's, of course, there was that sort of effort to arrest Henry Kissinger uh, someone wanted to swear out a ICC, you know, thing where which would mean that if Henry Kissinger ever stepped off a plane in a country that hewed to the International Criminal Court's jurisdiction, he could have been arrested and you know for war crimes. Uh, and you could do that with anybody. I mean, you could do that with with uh, with any if 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 the if the politics holds form. And it is and with soldiers very dangerous. Yes, and soldiers. With, and- yeah. This was right. a, this was so, an issue yeah. in the UK as well with regard to what their what their military has done overseas and whether that would lead them to be arrested by yeah. by foreign states. So the sovereignty issue is important, and actually, conservatives who care about uh, sovereignty issues and particularly with regard to international criminal court have long been beating this drum. But in in one sense, Noah, you're right. Like strategically, this is a message that will fall uh, more resoundingly if it comes from a democratic administration, right? This is you know who that does you know actively want to work with other international institutions. Um, but it's it's something that Americans should keep an eye on. It's 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 the ICC has been a problem in with regard to national sovereignty for decades <laughs> and one that we should always, you know, monitor. Yeah. I do want to quote something that that Secretary of State Antony Blinken said uh, because it does strike a tone different from the Obama administration uh, in relation to Israel. So here is the here's what it, this was said yesterday. The United States believes a peaceful, secure, and more prosperous future for the people of the Middle East depends on building bridges and creating new avenues for dialogue and exchange, not unilateral judicial actions that exacerbate tensions and undercut efforts to advance a negotiated two-state solution. We will continue to uphold our strong commitment to Israel and its security, including by opposing actions that seek to target Israel unfairly. So... You know, I, the the we need to target actions that that target Israel unfairly. I don't think that's rhetoric we would have heard or that we did hear during during the Obama administration. In fact, one of its last acts was to assent to or accede to the effort to target Israel unfairly in the UN by refusing uh, by abstaining on a on a resolution that we should have vetoed, um, and that uh, every every, every uh, similar. And every similar such resolution we had veto, but that was just a Barack Obama's middle finger stuck up out in the wind to Bibi Netanyahu as he marched out the door. So um, at least there we can say that there's a different tone being set, at least in the in the early going. Uh, now I got to talk to you about our friends at Upstart. I have to uh, find the uh, ad text first. Uh, sorry, you guys. Uh, bad, bad of me here. Um, look, you know that credit card. 
the one you're afraid to look at because you know the balance is going to scare you. Look, if you've been avoiding your debt, it's time to confront it and Upstart can help you face it and finally pay it off. It's the fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all online. Because whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. You can get approved the same day and can receive funds as fast as one business day. If debt is taking over your life, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash commentary. That's upstart.com slash commentary. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash commentary. Um, so we talked so little about Andrew Cuomo. I, I just didn't want to want to give you guys not give you guys an option to say something um because you know uh obviously uh i should say yesterday we started out the show by talking about this email we got saying you talk too much about cuomo and you talk too much about and uh we got so many nice emails uh, over the course of yesterday from people saying no talk about cuomo and the teachers unions as much as you possibly want and so um we talked about teachers, we didn't really talk about teachers. We talked a little about Cuomo, but we didn't talk that much of it. So we, we, but you have given us a free pass to do it. So I have one. I have one thing to say. One little yes. point of order on Cuomo, uh, separate from his faux apology. Uh, a lot of the people who piled on during the Me Too era and were quick to, you know, uh, pursue the uh, uh, trophy heads of all their uh, supposed assaulters, uh, some of whom were merely using inappropriate words um, and and to lump together a lot of uh, kind of uh, gross but not legally, you know, up, uh, actionable uh, behavior by men, uh, including Dahlia Lithwick, who was one of the lead people to try to smear Brett Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing, who's written a piece for Slate that says, wow, due process. Let's think about it. Let's let, let's talk about due process. Now, look, I am absolutely glad to see her finally embrace due process when it comes to allegations that are made against anyone. Um, but it's a little late in the game. Um, so we'll see how this plays out. Um, I, you know, a lot of the, a lot of those of us who've been critical of the Me Too movement have long said, you know, innocence until proven guilt, you have to have some sort of investigative process. So in, in one sense, the fact that Cuomo has not been immediately removed and cast out is a sign of some rationality, actually, when it comes to these sorts of charges. Um, voters also obviously will have a say with him, but I just thought that was an interesting data point uh, and quite a contrast to what we saw during uh, the Trump years. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. we should we should be uh, explicit about this. I mean, people up to and including the current president of the United States were saying at the time of this Me Too explosion that the evidentiary standards necessary for convicting somebody of the crime of sexual assault were just too onerous, too burdensome. The requirement that you had to face your conf- your accuser in, in a courtroom was simply too traumatic. These were the thing. These were. In Joe Biden's terms, um, the the remnants, the vestigial elements bequeathed to us by English common law, which was a white man's law, and was therefore uh, perceived to be unjust, um, even though these are the standards of justice that are applied to individuals in a courtroom, and, and because they are fair and prudent, um, and this was a movement wide attack on the conduct of justice as we understood it in a courtroom at which gave us the uh, 2011 Dear Colleague letter for colleges advising them how to adjudicate claims of sexual assault on campus, which resulted in profound injustices, um, many of which were reversed in a courtroom and resulted in um, colleges having to pay out substantial damages to the people who were abused in these star chambers. So this isn't something that was just like a, a thought bubble that kind of emerged during the Kavanaugh hearings and disappeared. There was a whole ideological um, lattice work around this, this idea that was put into practice and for them to abandon it because Andrew Cuomo got caught up in it. It is uh, illuminating. And they haven't abandoned it. What the real objectives were. And the Biden administration with regard to the title nine regulations that Noah is talking about hasn't abandoned it. They campaigned on it and they have promised to restore those um, which will involve circumventing the actual administrative uh, rules making process that that uh, Betsy DeVos actually oversaw when she was uh, head of the Department of Education. 
So, you know, I think um, Cuomo did himself some favors yesterday uh, with his faux apology. It was definitely a faux apology, but I think it was one that um, uh, a good many people actually appreciated. I don't count myself among them, but um, from what I can tell, it was effective. He kind of stopped the bleeding a little bit, um, at least uh, until the, the next story breaks or the next person comes forward. Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I mean, he... What he said was, I'm not resigning, which is, uh, I think, perfectly appropriate, actually. Uh, this notion you walk around saying that people should resign because they, uh, you know, uh, he was elected. He's, but it's, he's on his third term. Uh, clearly, the voters want him. And, uh, and so, uh, and he has not been accused of a crime or he has not been credibly accused of a crime or been indicted for criminal action or anything like that. Um, uh, but, uh, saying that, you know, he's now really learned something, he's really learned something now. And, uh, you know, gee, you know, I guess uh, in all of life, we can all say that, uh, we, you know, we, we are lifelong learners and can, can always have our perspectives, uh, broadened and widened. But the idea that this guy who served in the Clinton administration had no idea that there was something called sexual harassment uh, is so preposterous and so beyond all the scope of anything that anybody who believes a word, you know, a, a word that comes out of his mouth of self-exculpation um, is somebody that uh, I would like to, you know, sell a, a bridge in Brooklyn to that he he didn't build. Uh, let me just uh, talk to you uh, today again about Mark Gerson's remarkable book, book The Telling, uh, the story, uh, How Judaism's Essential Book Reveals the Meaning of Life. Um, in the run-up to Passover, uh, Mark Gerson has written a book and published a book about the Passover Haggadah, the, the most read book in Judaism, probably, uh, by, by, by all Jews who, who celebrate uh, Passover. And uh, he d- digs deep into the text. I just want to give you one example today, as I've been giving you examples uh, so far, he points out that, uh, interestingly, uh, the Haggadah and the Torah both um, resist endings. Stories don't really seem to end. Uh, and uh, what what is this about? You know, it's it's like uh, stories don't end. The Haggadah ends by saying, uh, ne- w- "May we next year come together uh, as free men, as not and not as slaves." Um, thus indicating that uh, this is a never-ending journey, that we will be on uh, reading this and doing it annually forever. And Mark says, uh, first, uh, the Passover and by extension the Jewish experience is oriented toward turning ancient experience into contemporary memory. The authors of the Torah and the Haggadah wanted to overcome the inevitable forgetting that comes with there being so much history, they wanted us to learn from every word and sometimes every letter in this text. Um, in their book, The Power of Moments, Professors Chip and Dan Heath write, what's indisputable is that when we assess our experiences, we don't average our minute-to-minute sensations. Instead, we recall the peak and the ending of the experience. Its manifestations are everywhere. This phenomenon known as peak-end theory was identified by Daniel Kahneman, and it presents a problem for Judaism because memory for Jews is not only about surviving, it is about living. And therefore, in real life, in real life, no ending is inevitable. A uh, lot of food for thought there. The Telling by Mark Gerson, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books, download it, buy a hard copy. Uh, it will reward your attention. Um so I guess we've come to the end of today's discussion, uh, and I, I, we haven't even, I don't know, what, what uh, I, I just want to uh, say what, one interesting, we had an interesting conversation yesterday, because right at the end of the podcast, my daughter emailed me very excitedly to say that the stepfather of one of her friends uh, was, an, is an, was an astronaut, and she was thrilled beyond belief uh, as you could imagine um uh, particularly here in new york we don't we don't come across a lot of astronauts they seem to mostly live in in, in other places in other places and so she was just beside herself with excitement um and 
you know, this sort of raised the 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 issue of um, uh, Noah the space nerd. Noah calling himself a space nerd. Very excited by space and uh, the fact that the Biden people did not, in fact, destroy Space Force. Yeah, so I was on my couch, um, I think it was Tuesday evening, just scrolling and came across this Washington Post piece, which um, started out with the premise that the Biden administration entered office with the intention of dismantling all of Donald Trump's works, with the exception of space, which was very gratifying for me because we're, I was one of those people who was saying that you know Space Force was not only valuable and necessary, but something that wouldn't be undone by the next administration to the you know sound of a mockery from a lot of people who have no idea what the heck they're talking about. And also, of course, the private enterprise program that has created a revolution in space, which the Trump administration helped incubate. All good stuff. And the Biden administration is looking on this now prudently and saying this is all good stuff and we're going to help incubate it too. Um, in that um, piece was something that frustrated me because there has to be something in a Washington Post piece that frustrated me. It was a paragraph that I'm going to summarize as this is a departure from past administrations. For George W. Bush, the objective was to get back to the moon. For Barack Obama, it was to go to asteroids and Mars. And then for the Trump administration, it was back to the moon again. Now, that's not wrong, factually, but you're going to leave, if you have no background information, you're going to leave from that paragraph thinking, the Trump administration had pared back the Obama administration's truly audacious goals in space. Um, the reality of it was that the Obama administration, that was a, a way of describing the Obama administration's initiatives. One of them was to cancel in 2011 the Constellation program, which would have replaced the space shuttle with several new vehicles and created a, and established the objective of getting uh, boots back on the moon by 2020. That went to the wayside because we had a whole lot of domestic spending that was much more important than space. And that put us back a ways. Uh, but again, you have to have this background information in order to understand this not deliberately inaccurate, but 100% misleading paragraph from the Washington Post. Um, and everybody who's even remotely familiar with space knew exactly what the problem that we're confronting in the Trump administration was and read that same paragraph with a little bit of consternation. Because the attempt was to mislead you. The design was to convince you of something that wasn't true. No. Which is very really? frustrating. Yeah, it's a little irritating. That's, that never happens. <laughs> but this is, when conservatives get all bent out of shape about media bias, it's not because you're being deliberately lied to. It's about emphasis. It's about clever verbiage. It creates impressions. It's not because you're being deliberately um, bold face lied to. Um, that's, that's just sort of one of these frustrations that conservatives who get all bent out of shape about media bias have a trouble communicating to people who don't quite understand what the problem is, but that's what it is. All right. Well, uh, with that great hit at, uh, at a respected media institution, which is what we should be doing every day. And we did some already beginning. So we're coming around again to the end for that. We will be back again tomorrow. So for Abe, Christina, Noah, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs> <laughs>